so she just she wiped the floor with everybody. So we got humiliated on TV and humiliated person <laughs> lost to an eight-year-old singing a whole new world. Yeah, it was like the two least rock and roll things that could possibly happen. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode nine of the Back in the Band podcast, the show where we rewind the clock to those sweet, sweet days when new metal was all the rage. And being in a band meant that you could scream at the top of your lungs in front of your mum that you didn't give a fuck if you cut your arm bleeding. Just like our last episode, we'll be grilling today's guest about the hoodies they rocked, the amazing gigs they clocked, the tunes they mastered, the cash they blasted, the jams they created, their nights are getting wasted. Their MP3 collection, the CDs they burnt with affection, the drumsticks they cracked, and the recordings they tracked. So buckle up and let's dive into this nostalgic ride together. Today, we'll be meeting our night's guest, and we'll also wrap up with our regular features at My Napster and Would You Rather. But for now, let's go back to a time when you'd happily spend an evening burning your expensive CD collection to MP3, so you could listen to your favourite tunes on your iPod Touch. Episode 9, let's go. So, penultimate episode of the season. Wow. There's a bit of chat about a bonus episode as well, Stu. Judging by the stats, people are gagging for more, right? Yeah. I mean, there's more than the six that we actually expected to listen to this podcast. I think there's a solid 33 per episode on average now. So, you know, big numbers. We've gone viral, I would say. But yeah, been a lot of fun, really. And hopefully everyone that's listening now has enjoyed it so far. And if you're a first-time listener, welcome. Can't promise it will be funny, but usually our guests are. But yeah, we're thinking of doing an extra little bonus episode at the end of this series, maybe looking at some highlights from each of the episodes and pulling together the more embarrassing stories about our own experiences of being in a band and how we went from being terrible to slightly less terrible, but staying in that sort of ballpark of all yeah. around terrible. Maybe we could interview each other, mate, maybe. That'd be nice for a bit. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of getting better, today's guest is an interesting one because he was in a band with your guitar teacher, wasn't he? Tell us a bit about those guitar lessons. Yeah, yeah. Of course, you're referring to James Waldron. Yeah, he was the guy who was teaching me guitar. He was, by all accounts, a very decent guitarist. He basically just taught me scales when all I wanted to do was learn Stained <laughs> and Corn songs in Drop D, which I think he was quite disappointed every now and then at the kind of stuff we were listening to. I mean, he did judge me, but he moved on. And then when I started liking some decent music, he was all right. But yeah, I introduced him to Tool. That was one of my memories in his little box room. He was quite proud of me then because he was like, these are actually good. But I think our guest today can probably tell us a bit more about his band days with him, which I'm very keen to hear about. Definitely. So without further ado, let's introduce our guest today. Today's guest is Jamie Stanton. We first met Jamie as he was teaching drums to our drummer whilst we were in school. And by teaching, we mean showing him how to not balls up Adam's song in front of all of our parents at the end of year show. That's not really giving Jamie any proper credit, though, as he's actually a beast on the drums and used to play in a band called Tamerlane in school. Our school band really looked up to those guys back in the day, and I think I even remember going to see them play at the well and being blown away at the time. I mean, they literally just played a set of 80% Blink-182 tracks, but it was really fucking impressive at the time. And they played the difficult ones, not just the expected ones. He even nailed that fill on Time to Break Up, and I don't think my jaws ever dropped so fast when he actually did that. So a few years later, Jamie also played drums for a band I used to produce, the Shabby Tinkers, who was the same band that Joe, who was on one of our earlier episodes, was in. And it was a genuine pleasure to record him playing the drums. I have absolutely no idea what Jamie's doing right now musically as it's been that long. So we invited him along on the pod to catch up and hear more. So first question, Jamie, get us straight back in the mood, mate. Tell us about your first drum kit. Who bought you it? Where did it come from? And how long did that one last? 
Hey guys. Yeah. So I started playing drums when I was 10 or 11 and I was learning with this guy called Pip and he was in this band called the Peccadillos, who were a pretty big band in the wake of bands like Prodigy. So he was my drum teacher. He was a really good drum teacher and he worked in this music shop and he made it for me basically, or he, he had this old premier kit and my parents didn't have a huge amount of money, but he was like, I've got this cheap old premier kit. I'll stick some, some decent like covers on it. I'll make it look all right for him for Christmas. And sold it to my dad 200 quid or something. And that was my first kit. I didn't buy another one until I was like nearly 20. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. But it was great. It was like a four piece. It was like exactly what I wanted. It was what I ended up wanting to play. And I was never like a big, like one of those guys, you know, like the Wayne's World, 50 bazillion toms everywhere. <laughs> I was always like bass, kick drum and snare with a few little fills to show you mean business every now and then. And so you, did you ever expand it though? You ever go, right, I'm 16 now, I want to learn double bass, just double kick pedal, did you get on it? Or? I never did, man. I never got the bug for it. I like big, fat drummers. Simple kind of pocket playing was always my thing. That's what I liked. Who did you look up to then, drummer-wise? Were you like, obviously, a Blink, Blink songs, you were Travis. But yeah, Travis Barker is a perfect example, right? He had always had like tiny little kit, but made it sound amazing. There's another guy, there's a guy, I... There was a video of this live concert at Wembley. There was this guy called Vinnie Colaiuto. He played with like Sting and all of those guys. Mm. He had a slightly bigger kit, but like a couple of extra toms or whatever. But still, it was all very, it was all more like pocket playing. I just could never get into the guys with a thousand toms and stuff because I just felt like I'm never going to get any of that stuff. I'm never going to be able to afford any of that shit. So I don't even want to, there's not, there's no point in me even trying to like starting to like it because I'm just going to set myself up for disappointment. So I was like, but I think I can just about afford a ride crash some hats and uh, yeah the basics that's it's got really deep already but that's like pretty interesting you say it like that because i think it's really important when you're learning any instrument or learning anything sometimes to absolutely max out the limitations of what you're working with and that can go to even i remember like producing and stuff like having some really crap gear and sometimes if you can get that to a point that you're like literally i can't get any better until i buy this but like at that age it's really tempting to be like I'm crap because I haven't got this crash or I haven't got three toms or I haven't got whatever. And I think it's really important. It's cool that you had that attitude pretty early on, man. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the bad things about being a grown-up, right? Is that all those things go away because you've got money and if you want something, you just go and buy it. <laughs> yeah, it's too easy. It's probably why we're all crap at everything now. No, so true. Where did your musical journey take you after you started learning lessons then? I'm assuming doing weeklies, practicing the hell out of it. When did the band start forming for you? What age? So the first concert I ever played was at my junior school year six talent competition it was me and james waldron played smells like teen spirit by nirvana obviously and everyone said we were amazing and that was it as far as we were concerned we were like it was like a foregone conclusion we were just going to be really famous and rock rock stars in year six in year six yeah that was the wow. i'd been playing drums i think at that point i've been playing drums for about maybe eight months or something i was like a football kid who was like good at sport and stuff so transitioning over to over to be a musician was like i don't know it was like a politician like joining another party or something it was like <laughs> all my yeah. friends are like what are you doing you're gonna play drums you're gonna play you're oh, gonna that's gay man like why are you playing this <laughs> yeah what the hell's wrong you're like why well, do you want to do that yeah, what's you wrong with the n64 like, bro like jeez. yeah so it was a weird thing for me to be playing drums in front of a bunch of people i remember i remember that but i remember that nothing had ever been that that fun playing drums was a whole different thing so tell us about that first band what was it called i don't think we had a name for a long time do you know what i think for some reason, Blood Angels is coming into my head. 
Yeah. If okay, it's not, then it's fucking weird that you just come up with that. Name. Because yeah, because James was really into Warhammer at the time, and so I think Blood Angels was a thing. And then the first band that we were in was Sour Cherry. I think that was the first name that we had. Okay, and that was the name we stuck with for a while until Tamalane. So tell we us like, about that evolution into ta- Tamalane, not Tamalane. I think I remember that was a thing at the time. I wasn't sure. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so I would say Tamerlane. I can't remember. Tamerlane was like some historical figure that killed a bunch of people. I can't remember. So I remember Sour Cherry. That was like a couple of older kids from high school that we, we played with. Year above, yeah. Yeah, or even older than that. I think we were in year eight and they were in year 11. So that oh, was like... Oh, wow. Yeah. Fucking hell. Big jump, mate. Yeah. That's how good we were. <laughs> yeah. So sort of the achievement there was that we were on this TV show on Channel 4 where you played a song in front of some random guy off the street. And then he, at the end of it, told you if you were good or not. And this guy, they pulled some guy off the street of Luton, like at eight o'clock in Hightown. And he said we were the worst band he'd ever heard and we should stop. Put you back down he, to he, earth. He gave us a minus one out of 10. Oh my and God. It, it was absolutely, yeah, it was horrific. And it, it aired on TV. Luckily, like almost none of our friends saw it, but that was on TV on Channel 4 at night. Eight o'clock at night or eight o'clock in the morning? The show was like a kid's show. So it couldn't, it was like, it was called, it's called like Wise Up or something like that. It was like some. So how, okay, hang on. I'm not sure. How to how destroy kids in, like yeah, morale. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think about that a lot. You played live somewhere in the high tower or something, did you? And then they just brought someone in. It was the weirdest thing. We were in this like rehearsal studio. The producers literally just pulled a couple of guys off the street that were walking by. I'm like, do you want to come listen to a band? And most people obviously were like, God, no. But one person was like, yeah, sure, I'll come. And the producer, I remember the producer saying to me, they're a young band. It's going to be their first time on TV. Be nice. He was like, yeah, yeah, sure. And then the camera's just like rolling. He just laid it. He was like, that guy's ugly. That guy, what? like, what's it? He was, what it was the horrible, hell? man. It was like a total massacre. Ow. It was like, uh, yeah, we all got absolutely torn to pieces. It's yeah, quite soul-destroying as well. You what, year eight? Like what, Yeah, 13? I was like, I was probably 13 at the time. And yeah, dude, it, it was brutal, man. It was like absolutely brutal. But also like, what do you expect? Like you pull in a guy from off the street in Hightown to yes. give you anything. Oh, by <laughs> yes. the way, this is going to go on TV. Yeah, I'm just going to give you a six it's out of ten. It's going to give us a fair rating. Yeah. 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 So that was one thing. And then the other thing was we played at this pre, like to this day, like as an adult now looking back, I don't know how it, it was a thing, but it was this pretty massive talent show in, in Bedford. There was like a few hundred people there. It was like a big venue with like a lot of people. And we were playing there. I think we'd applied for it or something, but like where all these people came from to watch it, I don't, I have no idea. Like now as an adult looking back, I'm like, who are all these people showing up to this talent show? Because most of the people in it were like, like us, right? Just young, yeah. terrible bands. But there was this one girl who was, and she was like eight years old and she sang A Whole New World from Aladdin and she destroyed everybody. She just, yeah, she, yeah, we, going, we, how am I going to compete with that? Yeah. So she just, she wiped the floor with everybody. So we got humiliated on TV and. Humiliating person. <laughs> lost. To an eight-year-old singing a whole new world. Yeah, it was like the two least rock and roll things that could possibly happen to a band. But you never gave up, Jamie. You kept going, man. So where did Tamerlane go from there? That was Sarah Cherry. So yeah, so that's when we started, me and James, and then that's when Tom, James's younger brother, Tom, came, who was a bass player, who was immediately very good at the bass. We were like every other kid that age, we were listening to Blink-182, and that was probably before Incubus came became a thing. But yeah, it was mostly Blink-182 and all the punk pop stuff that was around. Yeah. And See, so I, re- like I remember going to see Tamerlane a few different times. You went, you played, I think the first time I saw you guys play was in a little pub off the high street of Dunstable Town Centre. Well, do you remember what that pub was called? I remember playing at the Well, maybe not that specific one, but I remember playing at the Well and the Well was really a really nice place to play. It was a good venue. 
Yeah, really fun. And you fucking nailed that Blink-182 cover, man. Like, it could have been crap, but at the time I didn't know any better. Remember? It was probably absolutely terrible. If you could hear it now, you'd be like... <laughs> and I just remember turning to John and we were like, if he does that drum fill, we're going to lose our shit. And you did it. And did we were like, oh my God, he's so sure of himself. Jesus. It was so impressive, man. So yeah, obviously Tamerlane got better. And then did you get to college and carry on? How did that develop over time? And what was the peak? And then what was the sort of breakup of it? The peak was we played, we started playing like regular Esquires in Bedford, which I don't know if anyone that doesn't know, all of the big bands would come through there. I think Oasis played there. And it was like the apex of being a band from Luton before you went to London. You'd go play at Esquires and you'd do well there and then you'd try and break into London. Yeah. So that was kind of where we'd got to. And we played like a few gigs there. And then, yeah, and then we... Before you, so I also you're very aware that you, yeah, you brought Nick in. But before that, I remember, wasn't there a talk of you were talking about bringing in oh, a keyboard yeah, player and a, or was he a DJ or what was the thing? Because I, I say DJ because at the time it was like Lost Profits. Everyone yeah. wanted a DJ suddenly. And I don't remember really what, it was electronics that he was brought in for, no? And yeah, I hadn't thought of that guy for a really long time. Yeah, no, so yeah, Selvin was a really good keyboard player. So he brought him in to play keyboard. And then, yeah, the missing piece for me for the thing that we needed was like a really good singer and that's where we brought in nick but then that's when like university started happening and everyone started going off in different directions sure but i still play guitar that's the thing that's the one thing i've kept we you know we've, we've gone straight to the gigs the sums up some good highs there as well i want to hear about some band practice sessions what was it like with you guys so we started off at cool world and then Greenbank became a thing and then Greenbank studios cool world would always be like that is what a practice room should be in my opinion like Greenbank was very kind of nice and clean and Cool World was like, there was like smell of piss and there was like vomit everywhere and it was like, it felt like this is a place where you should go and like... There's more rock and roll in that band. room, yeah, clearly happened. Yeah. yeah, that's where you go to make stuff happen. Speaking of rock and roll, mate, tell us about some rock and roll moments. What was like real lows in terms of practice or like Lee said, arguments or moments where you're like, fuck these guys, man, why am I doing this? <laughs> thing that came to my mind is a story about somebody else. I remember drinking in this pub. There's this lady with immaculate kind of hair pulled up in a yellow Fiat Panda and these two really kind of gothy kids get out the back and then the mum's helping them like lift the amps out of the car and stuff. You could tell that one of the kids was her son and was just like immediately uncomfortable because all the people that were about to watch the gigs were obviously standing around drinking and he's like, God, mum, and then he's like trying to get rid of her. He's just, all right, mum, we've got stuff, just go. And she's like, Jeffrey, but what time shall I pick you up? And she's trying <laughs> she's like trying to talk to him you know trying to like give him a cuddle and like trying to say goodbye and, and he's just like mum all the other bands are watching <laughs> I remember him saying that the other bands are watching and that was like oh dude I was like I remember thinking just leave him alone you know just I can just remember that feeling but I don't have any like really good examples of, of us doing that because you know it was always my dad would always take us to gigs and or James's dad and James's dad he was a very good like sound engineer and worked for a company that made mixing consoles and stuff so he was like always a good guy to have around and but yeah man th those times of like playing live and or i think probably my favorite times were actually like in the rehearsal room and writing what was probably like a terrible song i always think it would be amazing to be like a fly on the wall when a great song is getting i do that sometimes there's videos of jay-z with rick rubin writing is it 99 problems i think it's 99 problems yeah and you see like that song happen or the let it be documentary where paul mccartney writes one of their most famous songs you just see it happen Obviously, I'm not comparing anything, any shit we wrote back in the 90s to any of that stuff. But, but just the feeling of writing a song and hearing it come together. There's not many things in life that have beaten that. I don't think it was I a know what you mean. There's that yeah. feeling, especially in a writing room or in a 
practice room where sometimes suddenly it just hits and you're like, yeah, that's okay, sort that, of like the that song. Bit. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Jamie, I wanted to Sorry. ask, so we talked about some good gigs, Esquires, et cetera. Sounds great. We have to ask everyone, is there any particularly bad gigs that stand out? I've got a really good one. I think about this a lot. So we were at this gig and one of our friend's mums was there and there was another band playing after us who were older than we were and a lot better than us. And so we played, we finished, we came off and this other band went on and they played. And then by that point, this friend's mum was drunk, like very drunk. And she was like, put the other band back on. Jamie, go back and play another song. She was like, all of you get off the stage. And she's basically, she was very, one of those like mums that got shit done. Like people would just do what she said. Just like one of those mums. You're like, I don't want to go back on. And, I don't want it. Yeah. And we, we were like, <laughs> oh my God. We we're like, no. We we're just like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. We're done here. We played. And she's like, no, no, go back on the stage and play another song. Everyone wants to hear, don't you, everybody? And starts like clapping, oh my God. dude. We ended up doing it. Like we went back up on the stage because of this little lady, who everyone assumed, I think she assumed she was my mum. And the other band were like dying laughing because it was hilarious. And I good luck to you guys. Yeah. It was the longest three and a half minutes of my life. And also, Shabby Tingers didn't have that many bad gigs and stuff. But there was one. We went all the way to Leicester for it as well. And we were in this pub, and it was like, how did this happen? And there was like five old guys at the bar. I remember between one song, just hearing this guy lean over to the bartender. He was like, how many are they, how much longer are they on for? He's like, when is this going like, to stop? Or something, well, how something do you like know that? that? You're sat behind the drum kit. How can you hear the guy at the bar that's, say, is there any well, time left? That should tell you how quiet this fucking yeah. place was <laughs> where we were playing. The fact that I could hear him say that to the bartender. And he was trying to be quiet. He was trying not to hurt our feelings. <laughs> and you're an eight piece was, as well and you can still hear this yeah, guy. We were there was we out there were two gigs with the Chevy Thinkers where we outnumbered the audience and that was one of them. Amazing. I yeah. love those stories. They're always the best. Yeah man. Yeah. So that was a while ago. Do you still play now? No, I haven't played drums since I actually the time that I recorded with you with the Chevy Tinkers, that might be the last time I played drums. Fucking hell man. I live in Southwest London and get in a garden. Maybe it will happen in my lifetime where I'll get a garden. With enough space to build a little place to put my drums. Like if I if I had enough money, I would have a place to put some drums and, and I would play. But I, around the same time I started playing drums, I also started playing the guitar. I play guitar every day, like every single day. And I'm not like a particularly good guitar player, and I mostly play the same shit over and over. And my wife and my kids are like, "Shut up, learn something else." <laughs> what are you playing, mate? I'm curious. What are you playing that's pissing your wife and kids off? Slow dancing in the burning room by John Mayer. That's oh, what okay, I play. cool. Yeah. Yeah, well, nice. that's what I play. Lovely. Like my kid will be like, dun, dun. like my kids will make fun of me. Like, my kids will be making fun of me. So I'm trying to learn, I'm trying to learn a new, yeah, a new sort of, uh, a new set for my kids. So I annoy my kids. Now, obviously, your dad and they're playing and starting to play and stuff. And they'll at some point potentially try and imitate the success that Tamerlane had. Do you think if they get to that, <laughs> they <laughs> get to those that. lofty heights? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of they could one day read Esquires. That. Maybe they could be <laughs> yeah. on season 12 of this podcast one day. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Do you Never think know. if they're ever that good, would you tell them that actually, to be honest, they're not that good? I, I wouldn't probably tell them that they were crap. But I remember there was a, a Dave Grohl interview a while ago and he was like, you're supposed to be shit. That's, that's the whole point. And I, and I remember as well, because I, I went to film school a bit after playing in bands and one of the teachers there was like, your first film is going to be shit. Just stop being obsessed with thinking that this first film you make is going to be good. It's going to, be really shit it's going to be embarrassing you should go into this thinking you're going to make something that's going to humiliate yourself yeah, and it, yeah. was like, it was like set the bar there but that's but no that's part of the process that every filmmaker that you love started out making something shit so i guess that's a long-winded way of saying that yes i would tell them they were shit but that was okay that they're supposed to be shit exactly that's wise words. Not... pretty good answer you know i want my boy i've only got one 
son, but to be around music, obviously he likes listening to your tunes, only three years old, geez, but I want to lead by example and I'm shit, but you know, me whipping out the guitar, I think it's really important. I think you've got to show and demonstrate that passion for something. I need to probably spend a bit more time doing it, to be honest, but when I do, he does imitate and they will, won't they? And they'll be encouraged by that. I don't know what you guys think. I know, Stu, they're probably quite impressed by your microphone there, mate. No, I've been there are two things to that, actually. And this is so serious, bloody hell. Two things. First thing, I, I really remember when Adrian, who's now three and a bit, and when he was about one, I was watching Slipknot Live on YouTube in my big TV in the living room, banging the crap out of the sofa with our hands. And him forevermore since then has really been really rhythmic and stuff. So yeah, it totally ties into your point around sort of just really getting them into it. And also to what you said, Jamie, around having good music around the house. I will always have music on. Always, always, always. They yeah. will grow up with knowing that their house is music on. Yeah. People always turn to me and go, God, you're always playing music. I'm like, I don't see that yeah. as weird. And I don't, didn't realise that was what I was doing. It's just on. Like, I have music on from as soon as I come downstairs in the morning. And now my kids do as well. So now every morning she comes downstairs, puts music on like straight away. And yeah, some people have heard that. I'm like, what the heck? like how can you do that? How can you? But yeah, like I... Yeah, that's just always been normal to me. I love it. And now I love that they, that they love it too. I'll just ask the one question I do like hearing. Looking back at a young Jamie Stanton, looking back at your time in a band, if you could give him one piece of advice, what would it be? Really yeah, I, it. I can remember I was sitting around and my dad was like, man, he was, this is probably, this probably should have been my advice to my young self. My dad was like, why are you building a website? Like, you're still shit. Like, you should, <laughs> you should probably concentrate on being good at music and then build your website. It's time to kick off My Napster, where our guests reveal that one absolute belter of a tune that sends them straight back to the heady days of shredding it up in their band back in school. Everyone has that one track that whenever they hear it, throws them straight back to that time. So no pressure, Jamie, but you've got to bring the goods, mate. Let us in on the killer track you've chosen for us and why. I remember this is the first song I downloaded on Napster. And I still remember it downloading. I remember it taking a couple of hours or something. Genie in a bottle, Christina Aguilera. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's 99 Red Balloons by Goldfinger. Nice. That song, I hadn't heard it until I downloaded it. The first time I heard it was after I downloaded it. So I don't know if it's like a you know delayed gratification thing of waiting two hours for this thing. And then, yeah, then hearing it for the first time, that cover of it is just amazing. There's not much music from that era that I still listen to. I don't listen to really any of it. Like I don't listen to any Blink-182 anymore or any of that newfound glory. All the bands that we would listen to back in those days, even mm. Incubus, I don't listen to a lot of Incubus anymore. But like that's one of the songs that I can still put on and I still enjoy listening to it. You know, it's a great Mate, song. I saw them play a Slam Dunk Festival a few years back actually in Hatfield. No and, way. Uh, yeah, it was wow. wild. Yeah, it was like a party just blew up as soon as they played that. It was... Oh, yeah. they played that? Uh, wow. Yeah, Such of course. Yeah. Brilliant tune. Great choice. It's hard to imagine now, but you could love a song by a band, not have enough money to buy any of their music. It wasn't on the radio, so you just didn't know any of their other songs. And there was no way for you to fucking find it out unless you knew somebody that owned a copy, like a physical copy. It sounds like insane now. Yeah. But you couldn't just open up your phone and just go to YouTube. I remember someone was telling me about Napster. I was like, oh, you should get this. If your band has played Superman, you should get Nine Times I Read Balloons, if you like a Goldfinger. And I was like, oh shit, I've never heard it before. And downloaded it. And so, yeah, heard it for the first time months after I've been lo loving kind of Goldfinger, at least a couple of their songs for, for a long time. And I think that's why it stuck with me, because it was like, 
this band that I already loved. And then I had this whole other song that was even better than the song I did know, which was Superman. And then your whole world just explodes because you've just discovered Nap- Napster and it's just like daily, just stopping your mum and dad go on the phone, right? Yeah. yeah. God, that mate, it's weird how ancient that all sounds now. Like we're literally like those, like our parents when they were talking about there being two channels and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, like, you've got no idea. It's happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, that, I was just going to say, that's what I love about this feature, my up stuff. Hearing someone else's passion for just one song triggers it for me. And I'm just like, shit, that is actually an amazing track. So yeah, thanks, Jamie. Yeah. I'm going to have a Goldfinger sesh tomorrow. <laughs> So it's time to finish the show now with Would You Rather, where we catch our guest in a bind and put them in a musical no-win situation. And actually, I just realised that one of these is quite relevant to a conversation we had earlier, Jamie, so I think we'll fit it right in. Let's be a good one. So, would you rather play a five-hour set non-stop as the drummer in a fully boiler-suited, masked-up, bin-smashing, slipknot covers band, but your audience is a preschool, so a classroom full of crying, screaming, potty-training toddlers that's one of your choices. Okay. Or would you rather start every single day with a 30-minute loop of Black Eyed Peas, I Got a Feeling, at max volume? And I've done the maths for you. 30-minute loop would mean seven and a half times played through each morning. And as you mentioned, you waking up and your daughters, that's the song they're going to put on every single morning. <laughs> Until they leave home, let's say. So, you know, those are your choices, mate. I feel like that's not too difficult. I would much rather just play a bunch of Slipknot for a bunch of seven-year-olds. <laughs> that's easy I don't think you can answer how this game is supposed to work three-year-olds mate three-year-olds yeah. three running year around even screaming better. yeah even better but, but like you know it's going to turn don't you you know that after about five to ten minutes of the initial novelty of oh this is fun then you're going to you literally 130 decibels in their ears screaming shitting you're to blame for them being like, <laughs> like four hours to go <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, so long as I'm not also their dad in this scenario I'm totally fine with that <laughs> If I'm just some guy playing Slipknot, I'm, I don't give a shit. They can cry as much as they <laughs> You're want. You're just telling these kids to I, spit it out yeah, for five minutes. I can tune it. I can tune it out now, especially if it isn't one of my kids. That's one of, that's one of the <laughs> things about being a dad. <laughs> just tuned into my kids. Any other kids are complaining, I'm just like, yeah, not my don't problem. Care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're masked up and everything. They just, you just nothing you yeah. can do about it. Yeah, they don't even know who you are. It just it sounds like a good choice, you know, because yeah, thirty man. minutes of Black Eyed Peas would finish anyone off for about ten years of that. So thanks again to Jamie for coming on the pod today. It was really good to hear his side of the story about being in Tamerlane and how he first started out and how that band went from being really shit to actually really fucking decent when we started checking them out. You know, the first practice studios and the first drum kit. That was cool, right? Finding out about yeah. his new, his first drum kit. These are like probably some of the first gigs we ever went to as well, watching these guys. Yeah. We were like 14. So like, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. We're allowed in a pub just in a to pub. watch and play. Yeah, like... This is exciting. I think, yeah, one thing that resonated with me was that point about keeping the kit and gear lean rather than overspending before you're actually good. And I thought, I didn't realise he was doing that too young to really spot those details. But I think that's a really good lesson to take away, isn't it? When I was producing, it was really easy to just buy gear and just be like a bit of a gear slut and be like, I need that. Oh, that's cool. Need it. That's that's the reason why I mix our shit. Oh, I need this reverb. I need this EQ. I need this microphone. And at some point, I totally got it because it was just like, it's at a level doesn't matter what studio I'm in right now, I'm not going to make it sound better because I do not understand how to max this gear out. So, yeah, I really got with that as well. And that was after I'd spent, I don't know, 
10, 15, 20,000 pounds whilst you boys are out buying nice cars at 25. But I think I had an orange Ford Fiesta, mate. So uh, I wasn't exactly <laughs> buying me uh, finer things in life or anything. But yeah, the point still lands. Don't waste your money on gear if you don't really get good with what you've got, maybe. There's something in there anyway. Someone can say it more yep. profound way than us. Anyway, should we wrap up? I think so, yeah. We're both getting a bit emotional now and reflective as we come to the end of season one. So join us for the final episode soon. Subscribe if you haven't already on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you get notified when the final episodes drop. A huge thanks to Jamie for joining us today. Really good episode and cheers for listening and see you in a bit.